0: Welcome to the Triple Point Podcast, a podcast for those working at the intersection of weather and climate, technology, and society. We focus on innovators and leaders working to make our communities safe and resilient in the face of a dynamic and ever-changing
1: world. I'm one of your hosts, Jeff Cunningham, and I am Ryan Harris, and after a few weeks off due to hurricanes, COVID, new business adventures, and some community service, Jeff and I are back with an informative show on the importance of air quality with our guest, Eric Close, who is the CEO and founder of Daily Breath. We hope you get as much out of it as we did. For now, on with the show. Well, Jeff, it has been a little while since we've done a Triple Point podcast. How you been these days? Well, you know, we've had a
0: hurricane or two, actually two hurricanes in central Florida, which have impacted you as well. Yep. Um we've had a little bit of the, the play from the COVID the thing. And we had Monopoly last night. <laughs> Monopoly, huh? Yeah, Monopoly. And uh can your family play Monopoly without somebody walking away from the table either mad or crying?
1: No, not at all. In fact, I think I think Monopoly, especially for, for my wife, is the third rail of all board games. So <laughs> We, we, we try and, we try and avoid it's like, it's like politics and religion. You don't talk about it. you don't play it in the family what's what's really interesting though is my kids will set up their little stuffed animals. they'll have their stuffed animals play and in, in, in buy out property, but yeah it's 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 not a family game that we play very often.
0: Yeah, I get accused of being a cheater, but I swear, and I'm serious about this, I don't cheat at monopoly. I'm just you know very competitive. And, uh, you know, when somebody doesn't want to buy a property, I might bid it up a little bit and then back out of the, the auction. Oh,
1: in your kids' eyes, that's totally cheating. you yeah. are like, what? Are you
0: doing? <laughs>
1: You're like, I'm just being a businessman here. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, there, there's been a lot going on. I mean, uh, you mentioned the hurricanes. I was able to spend uh, a week supporting Team Rubicon to help with uh, some of the disaster recovery cleanup down in Port Myers. And it was really fulfilling. And I, I actually just recently published an article with them and I'll um I'll share it probably separately from this. But um yeah, there's just been a lot going on and and as we head into the holidays, it's it's nice to, you know, get back and and, and start talking a little bit more on um these topics of triple point and We got a really cool guest today, Eric Close from Daily Breath is going to help talk to us a little bit about air quality. And I mean, there's a lot going on in the news. I feel like over this last year or two, I feel like there's more information coming out from a health perspective. And we covered this a little bit in a previous episode with uh, Dr. Jesse Bell, the importance of air quality, water quality, as far as health goes.
0: Well, what's interesting is one of the the top users of the, the fire alert app that I built a while back, although I have discontinued the app, one of the big feedbacks I got was, Hey, can you provide some, you know, weather quality or air quality information in there? And and when they looked at the public sources, it it was disaggregated. It was confusing. They didn't really know what it meant when a fire was, you know, a couple hundred miles to the West, uh, not for them for, you know, for air quality, especially when they have asthma issues or other health issues and and things like that. Um, And so definitely a very important uh, topic. Um, I've got several family members that have some, you know, some asthma type related things. And so it's definitely very important. And I'll go into more detail in some of my personal stories later. Uh, But yeah, I'm glad we're talking about it today.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, let's dive right into it. I mean, just a quick Google search in the news and I type in air quality and you know, sometimes you type a Google search for news and and there's articles that are like weeks old. I mean, like there's several to dozens of articles on air pollution, recent news. And so one of the ones I pulled out in Nature magazine title of it's how a dangerous stew of air pollution is choking the U.S. It goes into a lot of a lot of details about particularly the wildfires, amount of wildfires, some of the worst air quality organs recorded history. And when it comes to, you know, what do we do about it? So we talk about on this podcast, tools, technology, um, weather and climate, and then the impact uh, of that weather and climate on society, right? And so NASA is actually launching two satellites in 2023 specifically for air quality monitoring. Um, they're, They're named Tempo and Maya, put a link in the show notes on it, but the increase in wildfires the increase in pollution is exacerbating these kind of conditions for people, not just out West, but those conditions translate into the Midwest and, and you know, the industrial centers in particular as well.
0: Yeah, I looked up uh, a couple articles to, you know, research for this podcast and our upcoming interview here. Um, and the thing that, you know, I, I went after, and, and granted, this is a little bit of a confirmation bias, but my father was a... um Forest ranger with the Florida Division of Forestry, and so he did that for several decades, and and basically was a wildland firefighter. And you know, anecdotally, I knew that a lot of the those crew became ill later in life, typically around in their sixties, with a variety of you know cancers and other types of diseases that seemed to be in a higher you know like again anecdotally at a higher incident rate than. Perhaps the general population, uh, and then when you start to dig into some of the research, some of the papers that I looked up, you know, there are long-term health effects of wildfire exposures, and it has to do with a lot of the particle matter and stuff. And I and I I'm hoping uh, that Eric can you know shed some light on that uh, in just a bit.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. So there's there's near-term impacts. Obviously, you got a wildfire, and you know, if, if anyone's ever been near a wildland fire the inability to breathe well, you feel it, you feel it right away. So you, you have those near-term impacts, but what what's not often talked about is the long-term impacts, you know, kind of like your dad and others experience that that compounds over time, right? And and it's the insidiousness of, you know, air pollution and poor air quality that, that, that do that. So when you look at other cities, industrial centers, not just here in the U.S., but overseas, so like Mumbai, for instance, India has terrible air quality. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, air, air pollution, but it also has to do with, you know, stagnant uh, air, you know, the weather not moving the air along. So people don't realize that you get a dome of high pressure sitting over an area. And especially in the summer, hot temperatures make it worse. It all kind of makes makes it worse. In um, and, and one, one of the articles, I was actually somewhat heartened to see like in England, for instance, the air quality actually is starting to improve uh, their chief medical officers trying to curb that air pollution even more. But in that article, I mean, it's still cited, you know, upwards of 32,000 Britons die from air, air pollution um, or air quality related complications each year. So it's it's a factor, both near term and long term. I'm looking forward to hearing, you know, how Eric is is Handling that with the Daily Breath and that sort of thing going forward. Well, I say we jump in and get Eric going and, and uh, see what he has to say. Well, let's do it. You know, Mr. Eric Close, he is the CEO and founder of Daily Breath, a cloud-based SaaS company, software as a service, delivering personalized health insights. After a successful career in federal health IT as a health IT solutions expert, He co-founded G2 Exchange, an online competitive intelligence platform that ultimately exited successfully. Recognizing that environmental factors impacted allergies and asthma, Eric founded Daily Breath and has spent over 10,000 hours focused on environmental health intelligence and respiratory health. He's quickly become a thought leader in understanding the impact of weather and environmental exposures on asthma patients, participating in NASA Air Quality and Health Group's public-private partnership, and being co-chair lead in 2021 and 2022 on the GeoHealth Cop Air Quality, Wildfires, and Respiratory Health Small Working Group. As the product visionary of Daily Breath, he has created a cloud-based environmental health intelligence and asthma wellness platform to support better outcomes. Eric, we've been trying to coordinate this with you for a while. We're so happy to have you on the show Welcome to the Triple Point Podcast.
2: Well, thank you very much, Ryan and Jeff, uh, and I appreciate this opportunity to, to speak on the Triple Point Podcast um, and give you my insights on uh, Daily Breath and how I came to be involved in environmental insights and how they impact uh, health and wellness, uh, and specifically respiratory health conditions.
1: Yeah. So... I mean, one of the first questions right out the gate that we like to ask every guest is is about your journey. Talk to us about how you got to this point of standing up daily breath. Sounds like you've been well involved in the health and IT community up to this point.
2: Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I, I spent about 25 years in health IT and about five uh, years ago, as I was doing by then my own activity, my own uh, business activity, consulting for other federal health IT firms and stuff like that. Two things happened, one I call the light bulb moment, and that's kind of the story when I got that big light bulb on top of my head about environmental factors. And then I'll talk about what really fueled my passion for specifically respiratory health. So the light bulb moment really was my sister has uh, rheumatoid arthritis, or at least at the time she thought it was rheumatoid arthritis. We later learned it it might've been an early form of MS. But she came down one morning when she was living with my family. And she had her gnarled hands and she said, you know, Eric, it'd be really cool if you could develop a mobile app that would tell me when my RA is gonna flare up based on humidity changes and precipitation and all these different weather variables. And it really kind of struck me from a light bulb perspective of oh, environmental factors as a determinant of health. And so as I started to do my research, you know, you start to learn that there's, you know, there's medical care, which is like 20% 20% of actual uh, determinant of health, but it's the largest cost, but then you have things like social determinants of health, environmental determinants of health, health, genetics, and behavioral health, right? So environmental factors, you know, probably only constitute about 15% as a determinant of health, but they're fairly impactful for specific condition. And so as I did more research, I learned that, you know, you th- have things like migraines and headaches are affected by the weather. You have arthritis and joint pain affected by the weather. Uh, and then you have cardiovascular health or respiratory health that are uh, impacted not just by the weather, but actually environmental conditions. And what we're learning now is that ultimately pollutants and particulate matter and that kind of stuff has an impact on many, many, many health conditions. We may try to identify specific ones like cardiovascular health or, or whatever, but we really have no idea what the overall impact of environmental conditions is on. Everything from MS to, you know, mental health to Alzheimer's, all these types of things. So that was really the first thing was the light bulb moment. The second thing was, from a passion perspective, was as I began to build uh, specifically a focus on asthma because I really looked at it and um, the the stats are pretty staggering, right? There's 30,000 asthma attacks in the U.S. every day. And of those, 5,000 often lead to an ER visit. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but that's a high percentage. 16% of those asthma attacks are not addressed by treatment. They actually uh, lead to an ER visit. And then a 1,000 of those 5,000 uh, are long-term inpatient hospital stays. So like three to five days in the hospital, right? Recovering their breathing, right? Into a normal standard pattern before they can be discharged. Um, and then 10 people die every day in the U.S. due to an asthma attack. And and I always describe these as potentially preventable asthma attacks, okay? You, you don't have to experience an asthma attack. You can reduce or avoid your exposure to triggers. You can take your medications, adhere to your medication regimen, a whole range of things. But as I start to build my app, um, and the idea was that I wanted to build an app that would provide the weather and environmental data. But what I... What I really would say my background prepared me for was the idea that there were lots of trends in technology, in healthcare, and in climate that I recognized were converging and that there was an opportunity for people to start to track how they're experiencing their weather, environmental conditions at a personal level. Because ironically, we have a public health approach to the exposures. You see an air quality index for an entire zip code area, right? But what I wanted to do was create a personalized health model for how we understand those weather and environmental conditions impacting us personally, because we're each individually sensitive to exposures differently, right? So as I was doing that, um, I recorded a, or, or I do a lot of internet searching, and I came across an alert that uh, said, uh, Doctors trying to pinpoint triggers for 15 year old girl in ICU yeah and this was a story about a young girl who uh annually with her family went from nebraska to iowa to an amusement park for their uh fourth of july weekend uh you know uh, travel vacation right and um so uh, at at the amusement park hot humid day you know in in iowa probably a lot of pesticides fertilizers in the air there are lots of things converging in the air um so she has you know the day there and it didn't really characterize you know whether she was having any problems that day but you know she had a great day ended up going to dinner afterwards then came back to the hotel ultimately went down to a hotel pool which has lots of chlorine obviously you've seen in a lot of hotel hotel pools there's a lot of chlorine well chlorine is can can be really a, a toxic um fume for someone who has asthma and so She had an asthma attack and she was 20, uh, she was down for 20 minutes. And you know, to this day, she's a paraplegic and her family was, you know, tremendously impacted and traumatized by this particular event. And so it was interesting from my perspective, because I looked at that thousand people hospitalized a little bit differently, right? Because you have people who are rushed to the ER, but you have no understanding really of what does that mean? You know, does that mean, you know, that they suddenly get discharged and they're fine after that? Or let's say they're admitted to the hospital. In this particular case, that person wasn't just admitted for to the hospital for three days. That person was in the hospital for months, you know, and obviously her life was significantly altered. So it was specifically that idea that doctors are pinpointing, trying to pinpoint the triggers after the fact that really bothered me. It was like, well, wait a second, should we be pinpointing triggers ahead of time, and then arming, you know, arming our uh, the patient with the information that allows them to understand what those triggers are and therefore help them to figure out how to reduce or avoid their exposures to those triggers. So that really is where um, my passion is derived. It, It has a significant impact. There's lots of gaps in allergy and asthma care that I've discovered. And I just think there's been an unacceptable tolerance of this negative health outcome, which is an asthma attack that's relieved by particularly a rescue inhaler, right? Oh, well, don't worry. You have a rescue inhaler with you. You'll be fine. Well, what we're learning is that that's not necessarily the case. If you continue to use your rescue inhaler and you continue to have asthma attacks all the time, there's going to be a degradation of your lung health over time, okay? And so this is not something that we could just blithely uh, slap on treatment, right? And we have to figure out a much more aggressive way approaching uh, respiratory health conditions especially in, quote, a changing climate, right? So that was the phenomena that was occurring over the last five years. As I was learning all of these things about environmental health intelligence and its impact on respiratory health, um, we were seeing a changing climate. We were seeing in you know, 2019, 2020, 2021, we were seeing these wildfire smoke events, um, and we were seeing, uh, you know, increased hurricanes. We saw hurricanes, Harvey, that was, there were flooding and then people were going back to their homes and they were finding mold in their homes. And, you know, people who have asthma and go into a home with mold, that's not a good scenario for them. So there's, there's lots of things that were beginning to converge to say, wow, you know, in a changing climate, it's even more essential that we get our hands around this and figure out a way that we can leverage digital technology, you know, really to empower patients uh, to, to work upstream of that asthma attack.
0: You talked about chlorine gas or the or however it's emitted from the pool being, you know, a trigger. Do you currently predict any of the triggers events? Like, is that part of your, your offering?
2: So what we're really doing right now is um, you're trying to create a platform that will provide ultimately the intelligence that will allow people to Understand two things. They'll understand a personalized risk index. So, the one thing that is really different than like a breezometer or any of these other things, if you only track the conditions in isolation, then you're only looking at air quality or you're only looking at pollen or uh, a specific weather variable. Um, there's two things that are important about the personalized risk index. Number one is you're trying to ascertain when you go outside there's a mixture. That's really the interesting thing going on here, right? There's a mixture of uh, particulates in the air. There's a mixture mixture of pollen spore, mold spores. There's all kinds of things in your air. And so what we're trying to do is actually, let's track symptoms. How are you feeling when you experience a certain set of variables, right? So we input data, right? So your weather, your air quality metrics, um, your six major pollutants, your pollen. One of the challenges we'll talk about soon is the idea that you can't get really granular level pollen data, right? They only describe things as trees, weeds, and grasses, right? Well, guess what? There's lots of different types of trees, right? There's just If you take an allergy test, there's 40 different types
0: of trees, weeds, and grasses that they test for. So Eric, I saw in your, your early pre-show notes, uh, the thing about the cedar fever, I yes. have experienced that. I lived in uh, in Oklahoma for two years, and it was horrendous. I mean, it I, I had it every year. <laughs> uh, you know, the cedar tree pollen uh, was horrible, and 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 it's
2: horrible. I mean, and what's really interesting about certain things is so, like, if we talk about cedar fever, one of the things that people don't understand in the context of pollutants and allergens is it's the character of particulates or pollen that actually is impactful, right? So cedar fever is interesting in the sense that a cedar tree has cones and on top of the cones is the pollen spore. And so what happens when you have a wind event, the cones get knocked off the trees and the pollen gets dispersed. And it's very small, granular pollen that is very easily inhaled. And this will be an important uh, point when we talk about particulate matter 2.5 and some of these other things. The issue is the smaller the particulates or the pollen spores, the more easily it is inhaled into your lungs directly. And therefore the more immediate impact it may have on airway restriction, airway inflammation that leads to an asthma attack. And that's a very important variable to understand.
0: So I downloaded your app. I guess the question, one of my questions to you for your about your company Is your primary product or service the app, the Daily Breath app, or is it other types of things?
2: The secret sauce is really two things. One is the Daily Breath API, right? So that's one of the things we're doing is creating this personalized index model and a population-based index model based on real-world symptoms, right? I think the, the misnomer in doing a heat map of exposures is it just says where pollution is bad. It doesn't say where pollution is bad for you. And that's the disconnect, right? I'm trying to create a personalized health model where you can input your symptoms and over time you can develop what is called the personalized risk index, which will deliver a one through five variable based on how you've been experiencing symptoms. It's your risk index. I call it the daily breath forecast. Don't look at the weather forecast. If you have a respiratory health condition that's impacted by the weather and the environment, you should have a daily breath forecast that's going to tell you how you're going to experience the environment today. So that's one of the key variables. Um, And that particular type of API can be integrated into other asthma applications, um, looking at uh, remote patient monitoring type of devices. Uh, I've looked at some partnerships with companies like that. The other thing is there's a daily breath live map, which uh, there, there's a daily breath uh, community flare up map, which is another interesting component of uh, exposures that's different than really anything else, right? It's very rare that you can actually identify symptoms associated with a disease that have location-based issues, right? And so what's interesting from that perspective is it suddenly gives you another variable of risk, right? not only do I now know what actually causes my asthma attacks, but I may know based on me recording my symptoms over time, where in the uh, community I'm experiencing those symptoms. So let's say you have uh, a mother of an asthmatic child and her kid seems to have asthma attacks at this soccer field all the time, right? You suddenly learn that over time. And it's probably because there's an offending allergen in the tree line or maybe it's close to a highway. Um, The the interesting thing about, you know, athletic parks and schools and some of these things is that more often than not, where are they located? They're located by highways, right? And stuff like that. So the idea with daily breath is for you, it's kind of like, I joke, it's a ways for asthma, the when, where, and what of your asthma, right? And so over time that helps you understand your risks and then take, you know, take preventative action. Um, But the idea is that there is actually a lot of data being gathered um on the app, on the platform, right? So when we talk about the app, the, the, the digital health solution is only a means to an end. What it's really about is this environmental health intelligence platform that allows people to manage their asthma more effectively. We have uh, things like a discussion board and, and various tools that they can share their asthma journey. We also have... um solutions that we offer through affiliate partnerships for them to improve the air quality in their home by purchasing an air purifier or something like that. So we're really trying to provide kind of a holistic approach to how can they more effectively manage and control their asthma uh, by starting with this uh, understanding of their triggers.
0: So Eric, I'm kind of the technology guy on this podcast, and um, I always like to pull the podcast in that direction. What's your architecture look like? And you don't have to give me the proprietaries, but like in a general sense of the, you know, the cloud and the, and the back end and the front end, how, how have you architected things? And then uh, a second follow-on question to that is, you know, how are you protecting user data? I mean, there's some health stuff here. Maybe, you know, not everybody wants to share all of the personal health stuff.
2: Right. So it's a, you know, it's in an AWS cloud and that allows you to leverage a lot of different cloud-based tools. Uh, and I'm not a technical guy either, so I do have a technical lead that uh, you know uh, I, I work with. Initially, my first two uh, MVPs were iOS-based only. Now we actually are, are available uh, on Android as well. But the underlying idea is that you have a back-end full data repository. Uh, so let's say, for example, someone is using the app and they actually want to record their symptoms. They're going to record the three type of symptoms that they're experiencing and then they're gonna hit submit. On well, the background, what's going on when they hit submit is it's attaching the submission of that symptom to the weather and the environmental conditions that are stored at the time of that recording, right? And so that's being assembled into a database. So we have something what we call the uh, Daily Breath Flare Up Repository. And so that is tracking symptom data And it's uh, tracking symptom data in the aggregate. And then it's also tracking symptom data actually user specific, right? So you're developing your own personal uh, repository of data, but you're also developing this large aggregate database. And that's one of the things that's very interesting from a standpoint of getting to a critical mass where data can become valuable. You know, Jeff, as you understand, there's lots of things going on with baked data right now. The biggest challenge from my perspective is trying to get a business to consumer app out there and get enough volume going that the the numbers on the back end become really valuable. If I can start to go to a pharma company and say, "Listen, we've got 25,000 people using your controller medication and I've got this data that associates how many times those people are having symptoms" and what types of triggers, environmental triggers, are impacting those symptoms. On the long-term horizon, we could determine whether those drugs are effective. What's, what's the efficacy of those drugs? Um, is there a plateau where the efficacy goes away, right? Those different types of things. So, you know, I, I there's a component of this to, of, of if you build it, they will come. Um, that's kind of what I've been trying to do and recognize is that in some ways, because this climate change issue is is persisting and making this a continual challenge and problem, um, it, it it's just a matter of time before I can b- build enough you know user base where the findings might be really interesting, right? So I could tell you I have thirteen hundred or two thousand flare ups on the map, um, and I could tell you if you zoomed into San Diego. 80% of the flare-ups on that map would be within five miles of a highway, maybe even within two miles of a highway. And it's so, it's, it's looking at data like that and starting to go, okay, how can we now bring this data to the marketplace to take those findings and translate it into something
0: that's viable. Uh, sorry, I have like uh, ten questions to ask here. Yeah. Okay. okay so yeah, let's back gotcha. up a couple minutes. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you,
1: you, he's like he's like a freight train. Once he gets yeah, on yeah. a roll, yeah. I
0: get, it takes a little while to get started, but um, good. good. And Trip also, train. when I have to recall stuff, I have tape drives, not SSDs in my head. So, okay. So <laughs> that was a technical joke. Anyway, um, so only only you got it. Yeah, I only get um solid state versus tape no. I, I got okay. you. Um, so let's talk for a minute about the business model that you're approaching. So I admittedly, I gave up on my wildfire alerting app fairly early and, and I did that for a variety of reasons. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I was bootstrapping it. I didn't particularly want to keep paying for some stuff. And, and, you know, I was going business to consumer initially in the back of my mind. I knew I, I, I needed a business to business sort of model in there somewhere, um, where do you see so first of all are you bootstrapped or do you have any sort of venture funding or um you know investors how do you see that business to consumer part i heard in there you didn't say it directly but indirectly you know you want to collect this date create this database that could then be valuable to other businesses and 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 other things like that so describe to me that journey if you don't mind
2: yeah sure so um I, I've had some angel investing, uh, seed seed level angel investing and my own bootstrapping, you know, for the most part. There's two components. So what I will say is business to consumer is going to gain enough traction that permits you to have some validation at the user level. Once you do that, you target asthma management and control, right? And so one of the things that's going on within the health community is that asthma is one of these chronic conditions that's being viewed more and more like a diabetes. And so they're looking at, you know, potentially making that a part of value-based care, which means, you know, people are going to manage to a cost. And so the idea is to get users to adopt this app in managing, controlling their asthma, get some validation behind that, have being effective. And then ultimately, so let's say right now I only have a, a, a modest price for my premium, but. If I build more functionality into the premium version and I make that available for, let's say, $4.99 to the consumer, then I can go to a health insurance company and say, I, I'm going to you know, charge you per member per month um, this much money, um, and it's going to reduce your overall spend for that particular patient by this much. So there's a health insurance kind of market that I really want to sell the asthma management part of it. And then... You know, I, I, when I started, I didn't realize what the platform would avail, but like, I'll give you an example of business to business play. I had a company called Clarinus come to me. They're based out of Germany. They do clinical trials for asthma, um, for the pharmaceutical companies. And so what they said was as, you know, my user base is emerging, they'd like to recruit patients for clinical trials from my platform. So what that means, I'm referring a patient from my platform to their clinical trial enrollment process, and if they actually recruit that patient from my platform, I get paid for that patient, and that's a fairly big business in the asthma uh, clinical trial world. So that's one example. But they also uh, were interested in, in, in integrating, you know, the daily, the Daily Breath API into their clinical trial product that they have their clinical trial patients use during the performance of that clinical trial. So there's companies that are seeing the value of incorporating environmental data into the fabric of how we're doing drug development, you know? And I think uh, there's going to be, you know, revenue opportunities, but at at the core right now is... You're right. the 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 path for from a revenue model perspective is is lengthy and long, and that's the challenge, right? And from an investment perspective, you know what I'm trying to do is position myself to have enough traction and validation that I can get a sizable investment at the Series A level that allows me to really expand rapidly. Because you need, you know, I look at a company. There's a company out there that's doing uh, as uh, a product called Migraine Buddy. And it's the similar type of product where it's managing uh, people's migraines, right? They have a little bit of a weather component, but um, most of it's focused on just migraine management. They have 3 million users around the world. If I had 3 million users, the the sky would be the limit, quite frankly, if I had that much data. I think the other thing I will say is, and this will just give you a little anecdote. When I Started my first startup. Uh, it was a business focused on competitive intelligence, and each member paid $300 for an annual membership to uh, have access to that online competitive intelligence platform. Well, the, the universe of people who were in that particular market were about 5,000. That's a very small addressable market, right? So when I moved over to Daily Breath and started working on this, you know, you've got to realize there's 330 million people around the world with asthma and this is a worldwide problem. Um ironically I'm getting lots of downloads from uh countries outside the US because once you open up Android it's not the US. US is about, you know, 60% iOS and 40% Android. But the rest of the world, you know, they're 90% Android, you know. And so there's lots of people around the world that are downloading the app and ultimately that's you know where I see You know, growth coming from the business to consumer, hopefully validation, and then, you know,
0: figuring out the other models based on people coming to me. So, on your platform right now, where are your data sources coming from? Describe your data on your platform.
2: I have a one feed that provides me with weather data and then AQI and the six major pollutants, you know, hydrogen dioxide, PM 2.5, 10, Oza, SO2. And one more, I can't remember. Um, and then, and, and so that's one data feed. And then I have a breezometer pollen data feed that I've been using. But, you know, like I said, I'm looking at a lot of other sources of opportunity for those different types of things. Well, that's what's incoming. Uh, with my wildfire smoke feature, I did a little bit different thing. I went to a company called Monarch Weather and I had them build an API for weather that gave me two things. Uh, The one thing I thought was important with wildfire smoke, uh, it it displays on the map. And what I thought was important is we've heard a lot about ground level smoke, which is what you can see. Um, What we don't hear is the invisible threat, right, which is the atmospheric level smoke that travels up in the atmosphere, comes over, you know, 500 miles downstream. And then, you know, somehow through, you know, rain events or something like that gets closer to the ground and has an asthma impact. So what I wanted to do was have um, an animated uh, framework for understanding where those winds are going dynamically, right? Even in a community, let's say like, you know, Denver, if you've got, you know, uh, wildfires, you know, north, uh, Northwest, right? During any given time of the day, the weather is going to have an impact on where that plume is going, right? And so from my perspective, I think one of the things that's challenging with how we are treating these exposures is we need to be able to inform people who are at risk dynamically, right? And how can we provide them alerts? So I've got a whole model with the wildfire smoke alert where, you know, if you actually travel into the plume, you get a notification on your phone that you've entered a wildfire smoke risk zone, right? Or those kinds of things. So uh, there's there's lots of things, but in the wildfire smoke scenario, Monarch Weather was actually leveraging a lot of NASA slash NOAA based data feeds, and that's part of the discussion I've had with you know NASA. It's like at the end of the day, you're producing a lot of great satellite based data, but you know we have to figure out a way to how do we translate that decision making frameworks into the health community, right? Public health and community health are a very segment of a community. Most health is delivered through your healthcare delivery system. And so, how do we connect those two? Right. And that's one of the things I've been talking about. I envision a world where actually weather and environmental data should be actually coming into the electronic health record. Right. If there's a patient that has a, 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 a respiratory health condition, then If they open up that patient's record, they should see the weather and environmental variables there. And if there was a particular variable that would trigger an alert, then that would be identified in the patient's record. Maybe that's an automated call to the patient saying, hey, listen, there's wildfire smoke. Just just be aware so you don't go outside or make sure your air purifier is working, you know, today because it may be coming indoors through the ventilation, you know. So, those are the kinds of things that I envision for how to incorporate these things. Um, but Jeff, to, to the other part of the data, on the, on the user side, you know, now again, this is a hold harmless app. We basically say this is for your health and education. It's not like it's clinical in nature. We're not making any clinical recommendations, um, but we also, uh, you know, it's an opt-in. We provide them the opportunity to give us their controller medications, to give us the various things that they're taking, to give us their race, their ethnicity, all of these different types of things, you know, but that data is there available too. And that's where I talked about a lot of this is rich data that m- might ultimately be valuable, you know, to some of the business to business clients.
1: So it's a really, hold on, Jeff, you talk for <laughs> 20 minutes, man.
0: <laughs> I got 10 more questions.
1: All right, fine. My gosh. So, Eric, you talk about a really interesting convergence of of ideas here, and the thought of feeding our health records with environmental data, I think, is a fascinating idea. So, something that we talked about with, you know, uh, Jesse Bell uh, last summer uh, on on health really plays here, and that's the personalization of. The data and and you know like the platform that you are you are after. Jeff and I have talked about you know ideas around this. Heat health is is a really big issue and there's there's just so many different areas, right? One of the things and I uh, at the outset of this we talked a little bit about um, NASA launching these two new satellites next yeah, year, yeah. Tempo mm-hmm. and Maya. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. you're tracking those. So, but one of the big questions i have when it comes to air quality um and it, any good model needs good data right so how how do we measure we as a society how do we me- measure these uh, irritants these how do we measure air quality the pm 2.5s the the allergy levels what are the instruments uh, how do we gather the the data for that and how do we how do we increase that so that tools like yours can take advantage of them
2: yeah and and so, like I said, one of the things that's uh is is looking at the opportunity of trends right and so i o t is an example right and so one of the things that's been fascinating, so when I started this journey five years ago, okay, I'm gonna collect air quality and pollen and all that, and I thought, oh that information, i mean I've seen pollen counts, I've seen air quality indexes it must be readily available, right? Well, then you start to you know it's like you you know peel the onion, right. Uh, You suddenly realize, well, wait a second, the air quality index, I'm going to use the EPA air now data feed, right? Well, guess what? It's only about 110 air quality measurement devices distributed across the entire United States and then an extrapolation. Okay. And it's like, well, okay, so how am I giving personal air quality information if that's the nature of the network, right? Now, what we've had an explosion of in the last five years is these fixed devices for air quality measurement, whether it's Airly or, you know, AMBI or who knows who, a wide range of those, as well as the proliferation of satellite based data, which is measurement in re- to a certain extent, but it's not ground level measurement. It's not sensor based level measurement. It's satellite based and it's visual, right? Um, so. It's a mixture of different tools and technologies. And I want to accommodate with my platform the future, right? So there's a company out uh, in California called Atmotube that has a little key, de- key chain device that just measures PM 2.5 and ozone on the device, right? And hypothetically, my app could Bluetooth right to the little keychain, right? And then at least it would give very, very granular le- granular level readings for those two variables, right? But it will obviously for the other ones. So you're going to have a mix of, you know, very um, granular level data and then much more broad data. Okay. I think the key question you asked was, how do we know? Well, here's the challenge. Our air quality index, the measurement variables for the air quality index, was built in the seventies directly related to the clean air act. Okay. So the air quality index, you see was a rating system basically to, to say how bad air quality was in a particular area and what clean air initiative was necessary for, from the clean air act to baseline improvement. Right. We never really developed an air quality index for health. Right. And that's been my argument is, do we actually know at what level people experience health impacts, right? We have a idea that, oh, well, if it gets into yellow, then it's unhealthy for sensitive groups, right? But we don't know, you know, and that's part of the challenge. That's why I think it's more important to track symptoms. Associate them with weather and environmental conditions, and determine how are you sensitive. I mean, the fact of the matter is the air quality index may say it's yellow, but you had an asthma attack today, which means obviously you're more sensitive to whatever is operating in the atmosphere at that time. And so I think that's where we you know we, we need to develop a, a much more robust understanding of how it impacts our health at an individual level so that we can ascertain our own personal risk. I don't think there's any reading that they can give you that says, oh, this is th- this is bad pollution. We c- we can do that for saying it's bad, it's bad air quality, it's like a metric, but that doesn't necessarily translate as to whether it's bad for our health. We know generally it's over, uh, bad for our health. Um, one of the things I've described this is is we're trying to personalize public health. It's not sufficient just to ta- tell everybody in a particular, zip code that, oh, air quality is yellow today, right? It's like, it, it, it's only a relevant metri- metrics if I can interpret it and understand it for me, right? Um, and so that's kind of what we're trying to look at, but there's lots of growth and that's, you know, like I said, I think this is, I when I started this about, you know, four or five years ago, I, I was like, you know, we're in the first inning. Well, we're, we're still like in the top of the second. I mean, we are, you know, very much in the early stages of, you know, understanding this. I think my biggest, you know, thing that I will say is, I think we need to move beyond the climate alarmism. We need to move beyond the research. Hey, listen, since the beginning of Aristotle, he knew that the air we breathe is having an impact on our health. Okay. So, you know, you see these research articles all the time. It's like, okay, great. We got it 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 affects our health how do we now become more um adaptive how do we look at patient populations and help those pa- patient populations be more resilient to this changing environment right and that's where i think we have to focus our energies
1: yeah to to me part of this is is really it looks like it feels like a scaling issue so when i hear if I heard correctly, 110 air quality measurement sites around the country—is that—is that, is that did I hear that accurately?
2: That that was true. For, now that's again that's EPA government sponsored, yeah, know,
1: and all that. But understand, but, yes. but yeah, I mean, so my my point there is, it, you know, it, it this is a scaling issue, right? And and you need data to get beyond. Like so, it's easy from a research perspective to measure your local community or maybe these 110 sites um, because the research is v- focused on a very, very narrow um, goal. Um, and Whereas when you're establishing a business or a capability, uh, a, a broad enterprise capability, you, you, need to, you need to have a broader scope, right? So when I hear 110 sites, let, let's take a step back for a second and think about, like, the aviation industry, for instance. I mean, so for an airplane, or an aircraft to take off, uh, it was established early on uh, to that hey, they needed the environmental parameters. They needed to know all these different things: the pressure, the temperature, the winds, and so on and so forth. You know, I don't know how I I, I don't know how cheap these air quality sensors are, uh, but why can't we have an air quality sensor on every you know, METAR station that's out there uh that so that you have the, uh you are able to collect that ground level data a little bit better across, you know, a a broader spectrum. I mean, we have the Department of Transportation has very basic weather systems on bridges and roads all over the country, you know, and some of them I believe are starting to incorporate some air quality uh right, kind right. Of sensors on them, but to me this is it's like it's a scaling issue.
2: Well, if when you come to when it comes to government, you're right. I mean, I think it's an issue of there's lots of duplicative efforts going on within the federal government space that where if you had a more targeted effort to say, okay, let's figure out a way to codify air quality indices and the six major pollutants that we want to track in a sensor environment across the country. And how do we do that, right? But that's not how it's working, right? We have eight different agencies working in eight different directions and all that kind of stuff on the on the government side. On the other side, like I said, they have private sector companies like Airly and various other companies um, that are developing sensors. But again, they develop a low form factor, cheap sensor that does only two things, PM2.5 and Ozone. Well, that doesn't tell the whole story. So, you know, that's part of the challenge is that, you know, business tends to go for low-hanging fruit, right? Okay, well, if I can get $110 for just doing those tens- two two sensor measurements, then I'm going to do that, right? And so, they proliferate that as much as they can. But then again, that's a private network, right? So, um, you know, I, again, there has been a lot of growth around meter, Airly, all these different kind of companies developing these types of flu- solutions. I think the, the, the biggest concern I have with, the, with that is that it's just not enough to capture that particular data. You have to figure out how to translate it. It's the biggest gap when I talk to NASA and their air quality group, it's like, you know, it, there's lots of great work and even the research is great. You're, you're researching whether it has a specific impact on pregnant women or whatever. That's great. At some point, we learn all of that, and it's translating that science into action, okay? How do you change the way people behave because of the information that you're able to deliver to them? That becomes the issue. Um, And I think that's where we hopefully have an opportunity for growth in the future.
1: So unless Jeff has another question real quick, I have one last curveball I want to throw. Do you got something?
0: Yeah. Are you familiar with the National Severe Storm Lab's MPing crowdsource um, weather app? No, I'm not. Okay. So it's it, it. So it's the NSSL's MPing app. Anyway, you can download it. It's an app mm-hmm. that you can get on your phone. It's also incorporated into RadarScope, which is a a, a weather radar app. And it allows users to crowdsource weather observations. So if they see that there's ice or if they see that there's, you know, hail or tornado, yeah, or, or whatever, they can report it through this app. And I recall when they first came out with this, maybe, uh, let's see, what year is it? Yeah, maybe a decade or so ago, uh, there was some question of the data quality of these crowdsourced data. Um, I think over time they realized, hey, this is a pretty good data source, even with any of the potential problems you might have from crowdsource because you know they eventually built tools to kind of filter out the, the bad observations uh, and things like that um, so my first question is do you see yourself in this sort of
2: pattern so what I'm doing is crowdsourcing symptoms on the flare-up map so that's interesting from that perspective but um, you made an interesting point so one of the things I've been working on with the wildfire smoke feature is adding a component to it where the user actually could, Uh, make an observation with their camera at a particular location where they see smoke. And so the, but, but the idea that just what you're describing, which is users open, you know, crowdsourcing their own observations that inform risk. And that's what the crowdsourcing of the symptoms is really trying to do as well. I actually have, you know, in my mind, I had an idea like, okay, well, so let's say you experience a symptom, And it happens to be uh, an allergy Uh, and you're you're near a tree line. So you take a picture of the tree and then the tree, you know, I'm sure you've seen these plant uh, apps that are out there that they automatically tell you like what the tree is. And then it tells you whether the tree is allergic or not, you know, whether it's it's an allergen, right? So, I mean, there's, there's so many things I think that you can really begin to incorporate with the technology that's becoming available to us. And I think that's the exciting thing is just figuring out, you know, what's the platform, what's the focal point, um, you know, and then and then, you know, looking at, you know, how do you incorporate those, and then, you know, how do you monetize them? know, again, that's still ultimately, Jeff, just like you said, it's going to figure out from a business perspective is how do you monetize it so that it supports, you know, a, a customer um, that is willing to pay a certain portion for it.
1: So I I hazard at the end of our time with you Eric to throw you a little bit of a of a curveball but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to try it here Red Tide I want to you know this is also a pollution kind of focused variable and on a, on a personal level I remember actually Jeff and I were both on the panhandle of Florida for several months uh, for an Air Force TDY where we were we were supporting Operation Noble Eagle. But during that time, they had a really bad uh, algal bloom, algae bloom uh, and red tide event. And I, I remember going out one morning and trying to run and just my eyes and my lungs just burned because of, you know, this this red tide event. And I, I didn't know anything about it. But, you know, in the aftermath, though, of Hurricane Ian, um, with all the effluent and water pollution that's kind of rushed out into the ocean from sewage and everything like that after the hurricane, that increases these red tide uh, events. And so these this is ongoing right now here in southwestern Florida uh, as a major issue. And that's obviously a pollutant as well uh, as that algae turns those toxins into um, into irritants that, that irritate uh, people's lungs. So is that something that uh, Daily Breath is currently accounting for, or has future plans to? And and can you talk to any of that?
2: Yeah. So the first thing I did, uh, I call them the extremes, right? But, um, and so wildfire smoke. uh, There's two things. One is what are the daily weather and environmental conditions that may impact you, and then what are the incidental variables that may impact you as a result of extreme weather events, right? And so wildfire smoke is a perfect example of that, right? But there's others. Hur- hurricanes is another, right? You have hurricanes, you have the resultant mode, uh, you have the resultant flooding, and then you have mold in homes, right? So that there's a cascading effect there. The other thing that um, uh, is unique, though, is what you described. So algae blooms have been on my radar from a very early time. Um, blue algae blooms, uh, uh, the red, red tide, um, and Saharan dust, So anything that you can gather data from, because there's data for algae blooms, there's data for the Saharan dust, and it's dynamic, right? So that's the interesting thing, is being able to recognize that if you have a red tide, right, from an ocean perspective, there's certain beach areas that would be impacted. But from an atmospheric perspective, it's going to be based on weather conditions, right? whether it's stagnant air whether it's windy winds what direction are those winds blowing and everything else and therefore who are the vulnerable people like like you said when you were when you uh you know felt it in the air right so um yeah i mean in my mind i have this idea of actually moving to daily breath extremes which is kind of like the wildfire smoke feature but it's incorporating things like algae blooms things like saharan dust um you know things like a huboob, you know, that's the other thing that, that, you know, I joke with people, you know, when I talk about my 10,000 hours, it's like, I've learned words. I never even knew existed. Yeah. What's a huboob. Oh, a hoboob is a dust storm. You
0: know, it's yeah. like,
2: Oh boy. What so, do you know?
0: Yeah. I, I have some experience in the middle East with those and yeah. It, <laughs> yeah, oh, right? yeah. It's always oh, yeah. the, uh, the butt of a joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, hey, Eric, this has been really fascinating. I've learned a ton and we we look forward to getting the word out about the the daily breath. But before we let you go, we have three lightning round questions we'd like to ask every one of our guests on the show. So we're going to kick it off here. What is your most memorable weather event in your life?
2: Yeah, so I grew up on Lake Michigan, uh, kind of in northern Indiana. And my biggest event was a massive uh, lake effect snow events. We had three and a half feet of snow. Uh, Lakeshore Drive, which is where the buses came to pick us up for school, was closed for a week because they had to bring in, uh, you know, big snow removal equipment to uh, get rid of nine foot, eight, you know, 12 foot snow drifts and everything else. And it it reminded me when this buffalo buffalo event occurred, you know, of that you know of that whole scenario. But it was like a whole week. We ended up. I was a kid, and we ended up creating tunnels between the two houses because we wanted to play with our other friends. So, um, but that was kind of my uh, memorable weather event.
1: That's fun.
0: Beach or mountains.
2: So as I get older warmer is better. <laughs> but I've always had uh i appreciation for really both. Um you know my son just moved to Salt Lake City and it's beautiful with the mountains right there and I I I I ironically I learned to ski in Indiana but I love skiing across the country. Um uh but I also really love the water. I grew up on Lake Michigan 3 blocks from Lake Michigan. Um and so I like the water as well.
1: That's awesome. All right. So our final question there, what is your superpower?
2: So my, I'm supposed to be a wizard at trivial pursuit. I just know a lot of crap about everything. And and that's partially probably because I, you know, am on the computer and searching the internet all the time, you know, um, uh, for my own uh, business pursuits, but, uh, you know, on a personal level too. And then uh, I, I do really good puzzles. I, I have a puzzle going on all the time. It's kind of a, a relaxing thing for me to do, you know, between uh, doing my work.
1: That's that's cool. I, I, if you would have said Monopoly, we would have gone full circle from, <laughs> from the start of this show. I was going to do that, but
2: yeah. I no. I'm not a big Monopoly fan.
1: No, that's cool. Well, Eric, hey, Eric, it's been great to have you on the show. Really appreciate you being on the Triple Point podcast and, and being with us today.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Jeff and Ryan. I really appreciate it. Well, hey, Ryan, this has been a really good episode with Eric. I really enjoyed listening to him. He had a lot of interesting insights about uh, creating a business around air quality, uh, but not just air quality, but the personalized effects of air quality on people's health, particularly asthma. And, you know, I, I have family members that have asthma and I've seen the impacts of asthma attacks and having to go to the hospital and a variety of things. And, you know, this is, you know, potentially very useful information. And, uh, you know, he's talked about uh, creating the personalized risk index. You know, you and I have talked about that for other other environmental factors as well. Uh, what did you think?
1: Yeah, I, the themes were very interesting and uh like I said in, in the show, the convergence of ideas. When we look back at our show, particularly with uh, Dr. Jesse Bell, when we talked about the impacts of weather and climate and health, he brought it up then, you know, how do we make our data more personal or connected to the individual? And we've talked about the challenge from a business perspective, you know, business to consumer for environmental applications is very difficult to break into, but there. I mean, I think this is growing, and I think the future is bright for technologies like the ones that Eric and breeze and others are, are developing. The lack of data and observations just is confounding to me on why we don't have better uh, air quality observations. I think that's going to change over time. We're seeing that with the two NASA sensors and that sort of thing. So I, I really enjoyed uh, talking with Eric today and talking about his daily breath platform. Yep, absolutely agree. Well, it's been good to be back on the Triple Point with you and uh, look forward to the future shows, Jeff. Well, we hope you enjoyed today's Triple Point podcast. If you liked it, subscribe to our newsletter at triplepointpodcast.com. Give us a shout and a five-star rating on your favorite podcast station and tell your friends about it. Or you can email us at triplepointpodcast at the number 81degrees.com. Until next time, have a great week.